What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes? Something amazing's happened. Go on, tell me. I found Jason Furman's phone number. No way. We should ring him and see if we, we can should. buy some dog equipment off him. We've got to put this to rest once and for all. There's so many people harassing me about his website and you. So, yeah, let's ring this idiot. Ring him up. Okay, hang on a sec. It's ringing. I'm excited. Hello. Hey, Jason. Yes, Patricia. <laughs> I'm ringing to uh, try and buy some dog equipment off you. Yeah, what do you want? I don't know, some tugs, some leashes, some some of that kind of stuff. Can I do that over the phone? No. Okay, Why let's would get, you do it over the phone? Mate, let's get down to the nitty-gritty in the business here. Have you got a website or not? Of course. What? Yeah, of course. I just didn't want to tell you buggers about it. You're an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please tell us, what is your website? It is www.einzweck.com, E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. You heard it here, folks. Einzweckdogquip.com, where you can buy oh all God, your dog training equipment. It. Head over there right now, purchase yourself some tugs, leashes. What else do you sell, Jason? Uh, plenty of HS products, uh, mm-hmm. dog pull equipment, fireball mills, anything any normal dog person would want. Wonderful. No head holders. No, no head holders. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hey, Cut Jason. Yes, Glenn. You're still a bullfed. Bye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined at the Canine Clubhouse in what suburb are we in? Thomastown. Thomastown in Melbourne. I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hi. And we've got a room full of people in front of us. Mm. Say hello, everybody. Hey. hey. Emily, we'll bring you in in a moment. <laughs> hello. Hi, Emily. I just hello. What's your last name? Manuel. Manuel? Emily Manuel. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you just brought her in. Yeah. Hey, I just talked for a full day. We're down here doing <laughs> seminar. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sort of patch out. We talked about doing a live podcast down here and that we wanted to get some audience participation. Emily's the only person that has the courage, oh. the fortitude to sit at the Ooh. table. And, the table with the big boys. Yep, and has chosen to answer our question. And hopefully that is going to inspire some others to do the same. We put out there that we wanted to hear, why are you into dog training? Why did you just spend a whole day listening to me waffle about dogs? What's what, your backstory? Who what, are you? What, like, what, what, what are you doing does this sitting in this chair? For you? So many questions at one time. So let's jump straight into it. Emily, tell uh, us all about you. I am 26 currently. When I was 18 or 19, my dog de Bordeaux got put down. She was severely aggressive. And that's kind of my backstory. Okay. That's so a what? huge just like yeah. summary in one sentence. Do you have a new dog? Yes, I do have a German Shepherd named Hunter. He is five. Uh, he's a rescue dog and he is really messed up with his medical issues. 
Okay. Like awesome. what? Like what's what's wrong with him? He's got spine disease. Ah. Oh. Yeah, he's getting surgery in two months. But apart from that, he's a good egg. So the Dr. Bordeaux had behavioural issues and that's why it was euthanized? Yes. At the time, I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know anything about dog training, dog puppy schools, socialising, any of that. We had her as a puppy. She was really loyal to the family, but not welcoming of other people coming into the home or other dogs or people on the streets. So that was a fun time. Mm-hmm. And she got put down and we – I just never wanted anyone else to have to deal with it really. I didn't know that there was other opportunities to fix it. I didn't know that was an option. Mm-hmm. So I looked into it and looked into it and I didn't think it was a career. Um, I didn't know that it was a career. And then I found the NDTF course and did that in 2015. So your family basically. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. People who understand me. One of them. Oh, One no, of that's... them. Pat's desperately trying to build his little Napopo clan to try and take over the NDTF. Start your own course. <laughs> it's working. It's, it's working. <laughs> it is. And I have been training since, yeah, 2015 with Canine Resolutions. Good plug. Canine yeah, Resolutions, be Beric. Yeah, so you had a dog. Yeah, guys, I can't <laughs> see you, so help me out here. So you had a dog, behavioural issues, dog yep. was euthanized, you thought there's got to be something more to this. Yep. Sort out education. And yep. now, are you a full-time trainer there? What, what's your um, well, we run on weekends mm-hmm. um, and during the week, just on weeknights, one night a week. And Monday to Friday, I'm a vet nurse. Ah. Uh, yeah. That I old see. Yeah. And so your dog, uh, how did this come to be that you took on a dog with such injuries? Uh, I rescued him. He was abused. And then I remember I was doing the NDTF course and one of the trainers said, your dog doesn't sit right. He's got something going on. And I went to several vets because I wasn't a nurse at the time. And they were like, oh, it's hip dysplasia, it's hip dysplasia. And then I came to my current vet who specialises in orthopaedic stuff. He's like, no, it's his spine. Straight away, saw it. Mm-hmm. Now we know what it is and, yeah, getting surgery soon. Mm. So let's answer the question. Mm. What is it about dog training? How did you come to this? To this seminar specifically? Well, no, just any seminar. To become a dog trainer, like what spun your wheels to get into the industry? Like what what was it for you, the connecting glue? It was definitely the aggression issues. I didn't want to see any other dogs go through that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to stop other people going through what I went through. Um, And it was just education. I had no idea. Mm. And then I did the course and I loved it. And I think I've got a good knack for it. Like I just picked it up pretty quickly. Um. I don't know. When you had that they dog. might disagree. <laughs> <laughs> She's crap. When you had that dog, did you employ any trainers? Like, what happened? What, what, tell me about the process for that. Like, it how was, did that come to be? It was a family debacle. I wanted to rehome the dog, didn't want to euthanize it, mm-hmm. but family, you know, said, no, nah, it'll always come back to us if she bites somebody. And mm-hmm. she was going to bite somebody, definitely. But looking back on it now, if she went to the right trainer, she could have been fixed. Mm-hmm. 100% could have been fixed. But I just didn't know at the time where to turn and I was only like 18, 19 so I didn't really know and Facebook wasn't that big back then that I could just punch in yeah. the trainers in my area kind of thing and the vets, yeah, they was like, yeah, she's pretty she's pretty aggressive, we'll put her down, no worries. Like That can be a heavy cross to bear <laughs> when like you look retrospectively knowing now, if only you knew yeah. then what you know now, 100%. right, and you didn't, you didn't know the people, yep. you could probably fix that problem yourself. I could, for yeah. sure, because my rescue dog was – an absolute turd when I got him. So <laughs> I fixed him. That's I, eloquent. Yeah, that's putting it 
nicely. Uh, his critical distance was a football field. He could not look at another dog. He was terrible. Mm-hmm. So now why did you take that dog? He's a rescue. You had the option. <laughs> you knew that. I applied for NDTF and they were like, oh, you need a dog. So I just put in applications for rescues and that one was on my door. Right. So I kept him. <laughs> right. And the trainers at NDTF said, you'll be a better trainer for it because you have to physically overcome such shitty behaviour mm-hmm. that if you had a good dog from day one, you wouldn't learn anywhere near as much. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. That's, a, that's well So put. I had to work twice as hard, mm-hmm. but it paid off. Yeah. So do you know his backstory before you got him? How did that all come um, to Yeah, he was found roaming and the pound picked him up, called the owners and they were like, oh, we just didn't want to pay the pound fee. We don't want him anymore. It's too big. <laughs> Fuck it. Too energetic. <laughs> yeah, if I could find them, that would be fun. Too energetic, too big. Don't want him. Didn't want to pay the fee to surrender him. So, so they just keep opened him. the gate. Yeah, let him go. Mm. Yeah, good times. Wonderful people. Such good people. They should have children. <laughs> Probably, Probably do, do. Mm. yeah. Yep. Maybe that's why I couldn't have him anymore. Mm. And so what's on the trajectory for you? What, what's the plan? I'd like to know more about aggression, so that's why I'm here today. Did um, you learn anything? I did. I wrote 14 pages of notes. It's good to know. 14, that's good. 14 that's really good. I'm yeah. actually pleased to hear that. Like I know everyone takes it in and it's not, it's not meant as an insult to anybody, but, you know, like you've got to think back on this later on. Like this is a, a big seed, you know, and it's yeah. something once it's planted in your mind, it grows all over the place and you really have to sit down and digest it carefully to apprentice yourself to it, to start learning how to get involved in it. There's a lot of people who are really fascinated by aggression, like they're so enthusiastic to get involved in it. And they get fucked up really quickly because they'll go out there and they'll work with an aggressive dog that'll tune them up on the streets. And there's been NDTF students in the past that have rushed out there like crazy to go and deal with aggressive dogs only to end their career quickly. And good friends and colleagues of mine, people that I've coached in the past have, I kind of get it. I understand they want that, you know, like my jujitsu coach, a guy called Marcos Neville, he's a really, I love him. He's a really, really cool guy. Does everyone do jujitsu? Jiu-jitsu I don't do jiu-jitsu. His son does, so Should he's I part of the Should I now that I do CrossFit? Yeah. Oh, well, I, are you a if vegan you're a as well? vegan, no, now's the time vegan. as well. Uh, like if you're a vegan and you do CrossFit, which one do you talk about first? Just incorporate them into one sentence. Oh, I'm so low clever. in iron okay. and I do CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> I do CrossFit, but I'm not very good at it. It's <laughs> like fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Carry on, thing, sir. One of the things that uh, Marcos says when we're, when we're training is like he'll walk around the room and he – when I first got there, I felt because I've been a martial artist in the background, I should have knowledge and expertise on how to have a game. And this threw me right out of my comfort zone. Like it actually made me feel very uncomfortable. And to the point where I was thinking, I'm not going to do it. I'm too old. It's what's the point? And Marcos is a lovely guy. And he always, every time I go in there, he always welcomes me back. He asks me how I am. You know, like he doesn't just, you're not just a number to him. You're part of a family. And he's very genuine about it as well. But what he did do when I was rolling and he could see that I was having, I was quite uncomfortable with it. He said to me, mate, this is a marathon, not a race. And he said, just be patient. Just be patient. Learn how to do it first. He said, it doesn't matter if you're not an expert in it in the first year. He said, it doesn't matter. What what does it matter? What's it going to gain you? And I keep trying to tell people this in in dog training in general, but 
definitely an aggression. You know, this is not a race. This mm. is a marathon. Yeah. And you need to pace yourself quite gently. You need, to, you need to spend time with people who do know something about it and you need to pay specifics to how not to get hurt mm. and how not to mess up dogs when you're doing this because very, very well-meaning people get involved in this whole aggression aspect and they really screw it up. Yeah, I don't want to make anyone's dog worse. Yeah, but I don't want to frighten people away because there has to be a new generation moving in. As, mm. you know, as trainers like myself and others start ageing and getting older and getting, you know, like we start moving out of the industry, people have got to come in mm. and they've got to start learning. So when people have heard me talking about this before, they kind of say to me, oh, you, you make it sound like you don't want anyone else to come in. I do. I absolutely do. We, I need people. We need people who get into the dog sports who are doing bite work and, and, you know, taking hits from the dogs as well. You know, as our, as our bodies start getting injured and ageing and stuff like that, it's not easy. You can't keep doing it. You're not Superman or Superwoman. You can't just keep taking the hits over and over again. You have to train the new, next generation. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Please I think the hard up. part dealing with aggression stuff is to do it properly, it's such a long road. And, you know, we had people travel, like two people, two clients, I like, convinced, come so I can do demos with your dogs. And <laughs> both dogs didn't display the aggression. So and that's behaved. a good win, right? Like that, that, that actually is really good that it mm. did happen. But then it's like, oh, motherfuckers, I wanted, to, I wanted to show everybody this thing. But knowing when to quit is the hard part in aggression. Yeah, that absolutely. Going like, oh, it didn't happen. So that's a good thing. Don't make it happen so that you can see it and, and address it. Like it didn't happen. That means you're on the right path. And that's the hardest part, I think. Yeah, sometimes I, I think people turn up and think, you know, like it'd be good to see a show when a dog explodes and then you know, you're able to tap a little Harry Potter wand on the ground and all of a sudden, you know, magic happens and the dog just stops it and it walks out dancing with confetti coming out of its anus. It's you know, not like, realistic though. Well, it's not, it's not realistic. I mean, it's quite dangerous to have that expectation. Mm. I mean, everything Pat did today, I was in full agreement with. He, he was patient. He was cautious. He was, you know, like his optimism about what the dogs were doing was right on par with what I would suggest as well. And as I said before, when I backed it up by saying the way the dog enters the building, it should leave better. It yeah, should definitely. feel better about the way it leaves. And that's yeah. the important message for anyone who's getting involved in, in anything. Like stop when you're ahead. Quit when you're ahead. I've ended that's the hardest part. That's that the, hardest the hardest part. part that's the hardest part. Just one more round. Just one more round. ADT, where's Kylie? Where are you? What's the old ADT adage? Remember it? Oh, Margstar. I know it. I wasn't even he, there. He knows no it. No more, one more no time. No more, one more time. No more, one more time. You know, I mean, you've got to see that. And, I mean, I've had clients that have come to me. They've paid me well to come out and spend an hour with me. And in five minutes, I've gone like, like that. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. And they go, really? And I'm going, yeah. i got yeah. a podcast to edit. i got to go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's like five minutes and I'm saying, that's it. Put the dog away. And they're going, really? And they look, they look at me disappointed. I said, we're not done, you and I aren't, mm. but the dog is, yeah. you know, like go and put the dog away now. Don't spoil it. Yeah, and they stand there and I say, out, quick, go, put the dog in the car. Go and to they, the party. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they come back in, we consult and talk about it and they, they come, like Pat was talking about before, they kind of walk in going, oh, really? Like, you know, like there's, there's 50 minutes left, bro. <laughs> I paid for an hour. That's right. But yeah. they get the hour. We sit down and we start going through the motions of what to do. But if I sat that dog in and grounded in for, for the other 50 minutes, I'm going to ruin the dog for him. And that's what other trainers have got to remember. When you're done, you're done. No more one more time. Yeah, you don't quit. have to work for 60 exactly. minutes with a dog. Done. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> hey, You've shut down today. Um, I'm done. fucking gassed and you my voice done. is pretty much finished. He's sick. I'm very yeah. sick. Yeah, he's, he's 
fluey and he's been sneezing. And Is that because you spilled water on yourself yesterday? No. That oh, oh, you saw it. Flu? Yeah, they saw it. Can, can, we, like just, can we just address that, right? So <laughs> oh, uh, on the plane, that. I forgot to open my water bottle as we took off. And mm. when I thought, mm, I'll have some tasty water, <laughs> when I opened it, it flew like a fucking fire hydrant all over the place inside the Not plane. Not just Why on him, on me suits? as well. Like, I wore half of it. but get And this. I had to laugh at it. Like, oh, ha, ha, Pat, that's very funny. You know, so, I've just had the water that you've been fluing all over. Like, oh, Yeah, but so then Glenn takes a photo of me and puts it immediately <laughs> online for everybody so to see. You like, just but, full of shame. But do you know what? Like, earlier that day when he lost his car in the city and we wandered around <laughs> the city for 30 minutes trying to find his car, I didn't tell anybody about that until now. <laughs> <laughs> Must be an old age thing. Whoa! Ooh, You've dropped it three times. <laughs> You're like, well, I'm getting old, Emily. Just about. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so wounded. Mm. <laughs> hey, Emily. Yeah. Got anything else going on? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like what? I don't know. What tell us about dogs and stuff. While while we find someone else with the courage to yeah, get up and tell their story. Tag me up. Preston looks like he needs to come on. Kylie's coming up. Yep, so yeah, Kylie and- yeah, Kylie's going to come up. Kylie yes. versus Preston, yes. Yep. Got to get up here, Kylie. What else goes on? I vet nurse 32 hours a week and I get really frustrated with that because I can't turn around and, you know, diagnose everyone's dog with problems and they just don't want to listen. Drugs mm. is cheaper than dog training, so that's how they go. That's how they go. So plug canine resolutions. Yeah, canine resolutions down in Berwick. We do Tuesday nights at Acuna Park um, and Saturdays at Fleetwood Primary School. Really good. We don't turn dogs away. We'll do one-on-ones. We cater to everyone's needs, which is really cool, especially when you've got an aggressive dog that you're scared of and you don't know what to do with. It's good to have you know, a club that won't There's just a whole turn team of you there away. That can help you out. Yeah, exactly right. And cool. Kay and Shane booked Norella Nine for a seminar in November. Yes, so November. Woo. Whoop, whoop. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shameless. Yeah. Fun. All right. Sweet. Kylie, get up. I'm really here. nervous. So, yeah. Ooh, that's enough talking. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you coming Thanks. up. Give her a clap, guys. Well done. The big dog. Come on, Margster. Yes, I've always got the Fenton button ready. And ask me. Um, pop the headphones on, get get cosy, and we'll get into it. So we're welcoming my very good friend and mentor in puppy That's training, Kylie Bright. Yeah, so it's her first time on the show, but you've been talked about quite a bit on here, right? This is a little paralysing, guys. Thank you very much. Well, I met you 30 years ago when I was 20. Yeah. Yeah. What are you now? I'm 49. So it's 29 years ago you and I met. I was 20 when I came down to ADT. So I graduated in, in, I graduated NDTF in 1991. Wow. Mm. I feel really old. I'm 51 this year, so yeah, I've got yeah, three years on you. Yeah, well, but we were all of, we were pretty much all of the same vintage. So you, me, Boyd, you know, we weren't far away from each other. We were, we were sort of floating around that same age bracket. I was about four or five years younger. I was the little sister that tagged along. Yeah, yeah. Boyd's, yep. Boyd's about 55, 56 now, I think, or something yep. like that. I think he's around that age. Yep. But, uh, yeah, you were you – were, you I was and the I kid went, sister. Yes, yep. that's right. You were the kid sister. Yeah. But, yeah, I met you in 1990 when I first turned up at Kilsyth. Um, that gorgeous puppy. With Harley. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was going to tell the story tomorrow anyway in puppy class, but since you're on the show, might as well quickly talk about it now. I originally trained at Knox Obedience um, when I first got Harley. Yeah, ooh. How did that um, go for you? Well, back then it was very – like I was explaining to a few of the guys here out in the reception before, back then dog training was – if you were a dog trainer, you were kind of like a carny. You were kind of like circus folk. It, it wasn't as glamorous as it is today. Like dog training has taken on a- Who says it's glamorous it today? It is glamorous. <laughs> it's, it is. Yeah, being a dog trainer is a popular topic now. It wasn't really back then. Like I was frowned on by my family. Like they kind of looked at me and gone, what do you want to do this for? Like really, you want to be a dog trainer? And especially from my grandmother, I was telling Kirsty Fuller before, my grandmother really impaled me over it. Like she was so disappointed in me. It was such a disgrace to the family name to want to do something like and she was the one she said you you'll be a gypsy you'll bring shame to the family and then at that stage i thought oh, i don't care i like this Fuck I you gypsies. Do <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was uh yeah it was it was kind of funny thing so i um the first time i got harley i went off down to Knox obedience i started the puppy school down there with them and i mean the people that are there now are, are well and truly not the people that are there today and hopefully they've evolved and I'm not putting shame or throwing stones at them or no, trying to be have. they have evolved I'm a sure they way. have yep. but the people that it wasn't it's not the 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 center I'm I'm talking about it was the people who treated me badly it was their behavior I'm talking about the behavior of specific people if I can make that any more clearer but what they were very rude and they were very they weren't engaging they didn't it it was more about you know like you should be honored that we're here to train your dogs Whereas when I met you, you were very passionate about things. You had a like a extraordinary approach to people and dogs. You were very engaging. You were very inventive. Like it's before, I hated people though. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stipulate this was a long time ago. <laughs> You've never hated people. Oh, some, some. But what I did like about it is that you were well and truly ahead of your time with what you were doing. The things that we were learning in there, like the puppy development and the socialization concept was like, I'd never seen anything like it. I was it. given free reign though, but you were, because no one else wanted that's it. That's right. You were you inherited something that nobody knew about or nobody wanted, but you took it to a level that still people to this day are aspiring to do. And I mean, you know, we're 30 years on, we've got the the birth of the the internet happened during that time you know we've got these smartphones that I keep talking about all the time that we can access readily like we can instantly engage in information all around the world but back then you had to go like it had to be an ace it had to be books it had to be innate it had to be what Pat's been talking about today the initiation of uh, what do you call it? Ignition. Uh, ignition, yeah. Yep. You had to have ignition. You had to do things like that. It was like my passion. That. It was what I wanted to do. Right. Yep. But you did it well. And um, because of you, I had a dog that – he was an amazing dog. Like, he really was. He was an amazing dog, but you guided me through that process. Like, you actually gave me the tools to do it because, to be honest, I had no idea. I didn't know what I was getting into. I've had dogs since I've been six years old. You know, we've had German Shepherds and Pomeranians and all sorts of – Dobermans, all sorts of dogs. This is the first time I left home. I got a dog and I met you. So I'm, I'm dominating this this talk at the moment and I want to hear you. from you because it's been a long time. You know I love you. You know, you mean a lot to me, your family to me. I'm really honoured to have you on the show and Thank I want to hear from you. you. Where do you want to start? Wherever you'd like to go on with it. Well, my first foray into being in a dog class was at Southern Obedience with my German Shepherd puppy. Mm-hmm. 
and it was a horrific experience. I think I lasted there maybe a month. My dad used to drive down. I was 14. He used to drive me down. He'd drop me off and I'd get it back into the car and I'd have tears of rage running down my face because I just wanted to snot the instructor. They were just so mean. Mm. They just screamed at you the whole time, gave you no guidance, no instruction. The dog was confused. I was confused. I was stuck in the middle of a a grid formation with dogs going off all around me and no help. And I'd stomp back to the car and I'd say to Dad, I hate this. And he'd say, but you want to train your dog? You want to learn how to train your dog? And I said, yeah, I do, but I don't think they're going to teach me. So we gave up after a couple of months. I kept flogging at it, flogging at it, getting nowhere, getting nowhere. And I always swore to myself and to that dog, I would learn how to do this properly one day and that I would never inflict this shit on another dog ever. Mm. And that was part of the, I guess, the passion behind when I got the opportunity. So I started with what was, well, it wasn't ADT back then. It was a lunchbox on a table and a few blokes coming down to give their dogs a bite. And we'd take their four bucks and they'd line up, they'd Mm. give their dogs a bite and then they'd go home. Um, And that evolved into ADT. So when that job was taken from me, when I was about 17, 18, I think Maureen took it on Boyd's girlfriend at the time. and I had The me administration? Bo- yeah. Yeah. And I had my bottom lip out because I was just floating around and had nothing to do. And I said, well, stuff you. I'll, I want a job and I want to be a dog trainer. And he sort of looked me up and down and gone, fair enough then, I'll give you a go. And that was my first foray. So I think I was about 17, 18, um, took on a traineeship which was about two and a half years, I think, back then. The NDTF course? Well, it wasn't even NDTF then. Yeah, you, I think you did the pilot course and the, that was the one that I didn't do and that was, the, that was the first concept of it and I think that was 1990 that it actually first started. Like you God, and, a, you and yeah. Becky and a few of the other guys yeah. back then went off yeah. on that. But, I mean, Harley was a new concept to me. I didn't even know what I was getting involved in back then. And I, I think I was the first chicken a bite slave back then. Yep. And a yep. suit. Yeah, it was a six foot two suit and yep. I'm five foot two. There's a Ray Allen suit that we that – <laughs> Picture this, Pat. They make you run across the gravel under spotlights and then they send the rot wheeler in. Uh-huh. And it hits you in the middle of the back. So you face plant onto the gravel, but your hands, your feet and your head pop back into the suit like a fucking turtle. <laughs> <laughs> so then you're flapping around like a beach turtle, screaming, but no one can hear you because you're screaming inside a suit. And all you can hear is muffled, hysterical <laughs> laughter from all of the male dog trainers around you. And you're screaming obscenities from the inside of this suit going, get this fucking dog off me now, as it's dragging you by the arse or the back of the head or whatever across <laughs> the, the, the compound. Sounds ethical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was Baptism by fire. Yeah, yeah. Big OH&S back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. big believers in it. Yeah. Bites, bites were gaffer tape. Yeah, you were the only yeah. – I think you and probably – I think you were the only female trainer mm. in – there was probably about 10 of us on the field at that time and you were the only only female in the group. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing back then. I mean, like you look around today. you look around. right in. <laughs> yeah, but you look around the, the room today and you even look around in, in, in NDTF groups and training centres in general and it's now female dominated. Back, yeah. back then it was, it was the other way. It was male dominated. It's got to swing back to the middle though. So it's yeah, good I to agree. see more it's, males starting to come through it, it's in the nice to, now. Yeah, it is. It's nice to see that balance of gender in there involved in it as well. Way I agree. too much oestrogen in some of those classes. Oh, mm. How yeah. dare you, ma'am. Well, we didn't say it. You get a to get out of jail card free when you don't say it. 
But no, it's nice. Yeah. It's, I, I've enjoyed working with the women and in, being involved in the softer side of dog training. Oh, for I, sure. Well, I mean, I mean, I was using food way back then in were. those puppy classes, and yep. I was abused on a weekly basis. Yeah, and boy, to take but you stuck side. by your guns. Well. Listen, I had I grew up with him as well, so mm. I could get away with more shit than what you guys could because yep. I was the little sister, you know. Yep. I could talk back and get away with it, and he'd shake his head and and he'd walk off, and then the next week he'd come in and go, "Now, now, mate, you know you're using that food in the class again." I mm. go, "Yeah," and he go, "I don't want you to do it," and I go, "Well, get fucked, I am." Yeah, <laughs> and he go, "But mate," and I go, "Well, are you happy with?" quality of the dogs coming through are you happy with their drive levels are you happy with their bite development are you happy with their gameness you know are you happy with all of this are you happy with their levels of obedience by the time they hit young dogs because mm. oh no no we're blown away well shut the fuck up and let me do it then yeah well you know he told everyone you're the best puppy trainer he'd ever seen he never told me that but he told everyone else <laughs> that's yeah. a hooperism yeah but he did i mean he always G'day, he, boy. yeah he always he always held you with the highest esteem as being a puppy trainer. Mm. Like he con like everywhere we went, he always raved about your ability to train puppies. And well, we produced the goods. We we got the dogs the up goods. there, and we got them we got them out there, and we got them brave as hell. Mm. And listen, it was so competitive between the boys, wasn't it? Very much so. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone wanted to have that demo dog. Everyone wanted to have the ball terror that you couldn't get off the bite secretly. Yep. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So they'd all pick the best dogs like they get the Roddy and the Dove and the Shepherd they'd leave me with the fucking Mitsus and the cattle dogs dogs. (laughs) (laughs) they didn't have the males back then the males just weren't around yeah people were smart yeah yeah so I ended up with the nervous bag of shit dogs I'd end up with the little it wasn't until Adrian Tyler came that we saw the first male in Australia yeah that was when I think him and Pat O'Connor from Ray Allen Mm -hmm. organised to get that male over and I don't know I think Danny Yurkovitz might have had something to do with it at the time I'm not sure but Mm. You know, that came through um, the Holland Kane PV and group. Dutchies are only really I recent never, now. I didn't even know what one was until no. uh, until Adrian turned up. And then Mark Murray started. I didn't know what one is, one was until I fostered some. Yeah, exactly. Didn't Jesus know anything Christ, about them. they're just a brindle male, aren't they, mm. really? They're just as mad. Yeah. Yeah, they literally are just a male with stripes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they run up the front of you and off the top of your head and onto the turkey. Yeah, mm. yeah they did all of that. <laughs> Christ, it was madness at house. Mm. Yeah. So why are you still involved in dogs? I ask myself this on a weekly basis. I guess because all the other trades I've done, I've done four trades all up, one consecutively with my traineeship with ADT. I was doing a four-year apprenticeship in graphic repro. I started that at 17. Then I took on the traineeship doing the NDTF and I run them concurrently. So I was working seven days, you know, 90-hour weeks, that kind of rubbish, as you did. Like you'd be up till two in the morning doing bites on dogs Get up at five, start at six. How cool do it was that again, though? You know, like I, I mean, I t- I've told some people like it was mad. I know, and I and people go, oh, here he comes again with these good old day stories. But back then, it was like <laughs> it literally was <laughs> like we were crazy scientists. Like we'd we'd all sit down and start talking about mm. the concepts of training, and somebody would like poo poo it and go, all right, let's get the dogs out and test the theory. So we'd run to the cars, get the dogs out, madly start training. By this time, it's like ten o'clock at night. Put them away. You know, then we'd sit back down and start saying, well, what about this and what about that? <sighs> Let's get the dogs out again. So the dogs would come back out for another session and we'd do it again. By this time, you know, you're looking at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. You know how many times freezing I'd creep cold, you see the fog coming in. go to sleep in a car somewhere yeah, exactly. or sleep under a desk because be, I was the only one who had be to be at work at like 6 the in the morning. The they were all night shifters. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't have to start work till 9 because I was static. Most of you guys were static security. I wasn't. I was working in the kennels down the back. 
Oh, I was that's right. Yeah, I was running. Well, the a lot of the boys were doing the rounds, the lock up, let out. That's of, right. Yeah, because um, I I used to do that as well. So lock up and let out, and then they wouldn't start till nine or ten at night, kind of thing. So they'd be all bright eyed and bushy tailed, and I'd be yeah totally that, shattered that, by that. That first round in ADT, not the second time when I came back, but the first round in ADT was the best time in dogs I've mm. ever had in my entire it life. It was the best. Like it was the, for me, it was my heyday. Like I've never, ever enjoyed dog training with a yeah. group of people so much in my life. Yeah. Like it all made sense to me and I mm. felt like I belonged to a family of people who got me and got what I wanted to do. You know, like I didn't feel like I was the black sheep in anything. I really connected with It was with a family, people. wasn't it? It was a family it, and, a, and a very tight family as well. You know, like. dysfunctional. It was very lives. dysfunctional. Like <laughs> we were all crazy, but yeah, yeah. I mean. How it did was, no one die? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I some know. of the shit we did. There was no WHS. There was nothing. It like was it was just wild. Some of the shit. Yeah. Like climbing up into racking and then taking a bite off the dog kind of thing, swinging off your fingernails and it's yeah, just it mad. Was, or two dogs at once, sending two dogs in on you as you're running away. Running, through, you know, running through the car park and then like diving into a car and then trying to escape while a dog grabbed you and pulled you th- back through the car. It was like it was just it was fun stuff. It was really. It's probably it was why I have, it yeah. was adventurous. You know, like we we experimented and we had so much adventure and fun. You know, like it, anything was possible back then. There wasn't ba- so many boundaries and. And so much red tape about things like people just wanted to find out what yep. could be done and how you could possibly do it. But all of us back then, we we loved each other, you know, like we genuinely did. There was no spite and com- mm. competition and people weren't trying to, you know, like pin you down or get the better of you. Well, there, 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 was, a, there, there was one or two. There was one or two. But oh, the rest you of you try them, being the female in that mix, mate. Yeah, I know. There was a few, you, you did have a, a few backhanders. Yeah, there was a few backhanders. Yeah, there you was did a have few a tough time. laying a few out because yeah. they just totally disrespected or took you know, liberties where they shouldn't have. I love that about you. That anybody that gave you shit, you'd smack them in the mouth. Well, you could literally. Then. You know, there was liberties taken, or there was attempts made. Yeah, to, you're you're a tough to, lady. To beli- well, I mean, I was doing martial arts as well, so it mm. it didn't, you know. The first, the first thought is you deck them. Yeah. Because if you, because <laughs> if you hit them hard enough, then then the bottom lip goes, and then they don't do it again. I mean, if you're going to use a correction, you use it effectively, don't yeah, you? You right. don't fuck about. You do it effectively, <laughs> and you make sure that they never forget it, and then you never have to correct them on that again. By the way, she doesn't do this with puppies, folks. So it's, no, it, only everything's on good. Just only on men. humans. Yeah, yeah. Only on humans. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but what do you do now? I'm back with the NDTF. Been back with them for, God, three years. So teaching, marking, assessing, doing all of that and still ticking along with my own business. Cooking. You've got Bright's Bites. You've yes. Got, yeah. yeah, I'm sort of dabbling back. I'm a chef as well, so that was one of my trades. Mm. So she's, well, she's about to talk to us about being a show official show sponsor. Oh, yeah, really? well, I'm going to up from Patreon and go to like full. Full-blown sponsorship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. I know. Could buy Scary. another microphone. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're spending it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On no, the show. Yeah, fair mm. enough. Mm. Fair enough. Go for it. Go for it. So, no, I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed doing the R&D on it. My dogs have really enjoyed me doing the R&D on it because they're my taste testers. So, yep. all of these products are tested on animals. Yep. Um, <laughs> mine, mine step up and, yeah, they haunt me. Yep. Yeah. No, they, they're enjoying it all. My, it's like dehydrated... Yeah, I'm using the dehydrator on just about anything I can lay my hands on at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm making 
I was making a mix called dog crack because it does dog some nuts. <laughs> but it's a very moist mix and it goes off very quickly. Okay. So uh, similar mix but a bit tweaked and putting that through the dehydrator into brownies. Oh, okay. Yeah. So trying to add nutrition into the dog and take away any of the crap that's been really making dogs sick. Mm-hmm. So um, I've got some at home. You should grab some when we're the back jer- there next the time. Try them on the beer. dogs. Okay. The jerky is good with beer. Um, with beer? Yep. Yeah, I've eaten yeah. it. The venison. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I ate it. I actually Salt ate some. Salt that was here today. Mm. Um, he buys it. And I know he doesn't buy it for his dogs, so. Yeah. <laughs> he admits it now. Yeah, he I've eaten it. about three or four pieces of it and it's, yeah. it's delicious. Yeah, it's yeah. venison. So it's off the paddock from just behind us. So it's locally shot. Yep. It's shot within 2K of my house. Um, it's butchered out on our property um, and processed on our property. Yep. So it's, yeah, wild caught, totally done. So it was a bit of a bit of a late start on the Wednesday. We had one delivered unexpectedly. Yep. Size of a bloody cow hanging from our shed roof and okay, I'm gonna have to cancel consults tomorrow. Sorry guys, I've got some butchering to do. But um no, listen, I'd I'd rather know where it comes from. I know it's not had antibiotics put through it, I know it's not been on pesticides, I know it's not been tweaked in any way, I know it's not based in chemicals. Yep. Um, I know what goes into it and I yep. know what I'm putting into my dogs. And ethically killed. Ethically killed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a feral population up our way, so environmentally, yep. it's a good thing. Yep. We had Tonks um, on the show talking about that same yeah. sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, that takes. He's an hey, ethical you, hunter. You came out with us once hunting, yeah, didn't you? Yeah. We many did. many moons ago. Yeah, we uh, did. Um, was it Ben Loman? Goats. Yep. Was it Ben Loman you were on, or was it Burke. Mulgowan? Burke. Mulgowan, I think yep. it was mm. station property out there. Do you remember that? This was a massive eye opener. For I remember that herd of roos that came through on the night where we could like they smashed the car up when it was brand spanking new. And the roo came and, like, it hit the car and its tail whipped around and, and hit every side panel on the right-hand side of the car, like, dented the whole brand-new car right down the side. I couldn't believe like, that. You could hear them, like the, like, the crazy crashing that they were coming through. I've never, ever seen such a mob of roos come through in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a real eye-opener. We got hit by an emu once. Doing, we were doing about 100k and it ran straight into the side of the car and dented all the door. Mm. Yeah, I'd heard stories about it, yeah. you know, like, but I mean, back then I was young and... You don't want to hit a deer. I've done that. Uh, I don't want to hit it's, anything. They're the size of cows, yeah. honestly, and they make a horrible mess of your car. Mm. Well, I nearly got taken out by a roo going up on my motorbike and yeah, it, it skipped between my colleague Scott and I, uh, shot straight between us and it scared the life. I thought, I'm gone. Yeah. Uh, I just looked at it and it came slow motion. I just well, saw Birdie's, it. Birdie's husband yeah, he hit by it. a roo, didn't Yeah, he hit oh, one at 100Ks. God. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did himself a mischief. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he it really messed him up. He ba- really banged him up. You know, a mate of mine hit a wallaby, and he never rode again after that. He sold his bike. Yep. Yeah, he broke broke all the ribs on one side. Um, did a mess of damage on himself. Mm. So there's a, quite a few people who listen in in the USA, and they always they're intrigued about kangaroos, like they usually <laughs> are. And I said they're amazing animals yep. until you're riding a motorcycle. Yeah. When you're riding a motorcycle, you you don't share love of kangaroos because you. They'll be hopping along the road and they'll go, oh, fuck you, and they'll just come out in front of you. And they've got all the bush to go on, but they think, oh, no, I'll just come out in front of you. The the wombats do the same, though. No, I've never never seen a wombat, never had a problem with a wombat. Wombats and me, we're on on good terms. Yeah. Kangaroos, not so much. I never hit anything until I got the – Just at a distance. (laughs) Just not when when I'm on two wheels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me and Pete sold our bikes when we moved up north, so we don't ride up there. Yep. And it's for a good reason because mm. it's just too much, too much that wants to kill you on the road. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so are you still raising puppies for people on your property? 
No, I haven't done that for a few years. Uh, worked for VicPol from about, I reckon it was about 2007. They, I'll use the term loosely, interview. It was more like an interrogation. Um, they interviewed me in regards to doing the puppy class for them. Yep. Um, Denchi dobbed me in for that. Thanks, mm-hmm. mate. And We've got to um, get Denchi on the show. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I was actually cooking at the Millowa Hotel. And I served her at the counter and she went, what the fuck are you doing here? Said, what are you doing here? Um, she said, why aren't you working dogs? I said, because there's just not much dog work up here. Mm-hmm. I said, I've gone into cooking because you got to pay your bills. I said, I'll get the odd consult, but there's not a lot. She goes, do you want to get back into the pups? I went, yeah. She goes, you want to get back into the bite work? And I said, hell yeah, but, you know, we're in Victoria and it's, you know. She goes, I'll talk to the boss. And I didn't hear anything back for a couple of months and they did an interview with me and I... I was outside all of their criteria, so they took a huge leap of faith on bringing me in. One, I was civilian. Two, I was female. Three, I was more than 50K out of the CBD. And the last cruncher was I already had dogs. And the final cruncher was I was a dog trainer. So that was against all of their criteria. They took a risk. They gave me the puppy that they didn't think was going to survive longer than a week, with a Stafford and an Akita, because I had Akita at home, Staffords. So I raised Vic. Vic was the test case. He's still operational and he's still hospitalising people. So, That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. No, he he does a wonderful job. Mm. So he went back at 12 months. Um, I think he was operational by about 15 months. Yep. Fucked up a crim on his first night. So, yeah, no, he's he's still doing, you know, really good work out there. Yep. And then raised about, I don't know, we would have had about 20, 21 dogs over nine years. Mm. So the chaos was normal. Because every time you and I were liaising over the years, you'd be telling me about all these puppies that you had that were ruining your house and <laughs> causing absolute grief oh, and chaos, but you just, just said, I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, the thing was, like, uh, Pepper's six now, the Monsimbi that I've got, and she sort of landed in the middle of it because um, at that time the chaos was normal. You know, you go, I've got a house full of dogs. You know, seriously, what's one more? Yep. It's, it's kind of normal, this chaos. And Monsimbi is not normal in a house, you know. I love my dog. I love my dog dearly. But, you know, they're, they're a bloody good working dog. Mm. So they're yeah, not what Randy's got Monsimbi in yeah. lines in him. Yeah, so yeah. you know that monster madness. Yeah, I know the monster yeah. madness. Yeah. yeah, Karen and Brad do a very good job. Oh, phenomenal job with mm. their breed. Mm. So um, I had Gage at the time, which is Pepper's cousin, full brother to Hunter, Sharonica's dog. Yep. So full litter mate to him. And I was raising him at the time and he was about, oh, I don't know, eight months older than Pep. So it was sort of normal and, um, yeah. So the program's changed now. The handlers are raising the dogs, which is bloody awesome, um, which means that the dogs are conditioned on the road continuously through with their handler, which mm-hmm. is best. It's the best way of doing it. It really is. So we sort of ran for about, I don't know, eight, nine years together and then, you know, diverged from there. But I still have a chat, you know. I still keep in touch with Gaz down there and Denchi. Fantastic. So, yeah. No, it was another dysfunctional dog family. Mm. It was just like going back to ADT but with uniform. Because yeah. <laughs> dog trainers are a mad lot and especially when they're teaching a dog to hunt and bite humans, it's it's a different level of dog training, which I miss. I yep. do miss because NDTF's fantastic but we can't teach them that. Mm. We can't give them that half of the equation and it's a good half of the equation. Yep. So that's why people coming through now aren't dealing with the aggression the same way because they don't know how to develop it and nurture it and bring it forward. Yeah, I agree with that. 
I would talk yeah. about it all the time. It's in a that. shame. It's a shame. It's such a shame that the law's changed in Victoria. It's really yeah. done the industry a disservice. Yeah, but I talk about it all the time here that I think when you know how to bring out aggression in a oh, dog, yeah. how you also it, know how to put it back away. Mm-hmm. And so that's the piece And you know what the triggers are. The you know yeah. what the triggers are. You know how to trigger that response and how to nurture it and how mm. to develop it and how to tweak it to make a, a shy dog brave or how to make an, a nervous dog feel enabled you know you know all of these things because you've had to draw it out of them which is a long painful process isn't it to mm, nurture yeah, a dog be. along to the point of 18 months old now i'm an invincible yep um especially if you're dealing with dodgy genetics so yeah the, I, I pat and i were talking about this the other day because we you know like there's not really a lot of good working line rottweiler kennels left anymore there's a no. few around but you know they're i mean they're like most of those breeds that got more involved in in, more showy. in showing than they did in showy tracky herding. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So they literally started to breed the characteristics out of the dog. But back then, in those early ADT days, all German import stuff. Oh my stuff. god, those dogs. munches. I mean, Kane, for example. Kane I, fractured my forearm. Kane was a Malinois <laughs> and a Rottweiler body. Like I've yep. never seen a. I've still to this day. Probably him and Gammon were probably the most prolific. Is that lady still breeding? Joy Bells? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, yeah. Because she, she still had the workers. She likes us on, on the Canine Paradigm. Okay, like She follows cool. the show. Yeah. Cool. Those dogs back then were, were much different than what people are seeing today in mm. what they consider a working dog. Like we were dealing with monsters. People are dealing with show dogs now. Like they're, they're a different type of dog than what we were dealing with. And when I tell people, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glenn's telling another old ADT no, glory no. story. But that's right. You were there. Like we saw it. We were on the beat at the time working with these mm. dogs. Like they were real serious and a lot, dogs. A lot of them were civil as well because they, they were very, working on very the strong at dogs. Night doing live bite. They were strong dogs, mm. really strong dogs. They weren't just sport dogs. They no. were doing live bite. They were, yeah. Yeah. I still remember hearing the sleeves creaking from the bite power and the pressure of these dogs. And I just used to think to myself, my God, these dogs are intense, you know. And I I don't see that same thing in some of the the breeds anymore. I mean, the males are are certainly maintaining it. But the reason the males are maintaining it is because the show people aren't aren't filtering those genetics Mm. down, you know, like they're not washing them out. And in fact, the, the, the Malamar breeders are smart. They're keeping away from the shows as Mm. much as they possibly can to maintain that working role in the dog. Well, the only ones that I've given a bite since those days that has that intensity, I'd say, with the Task 9 dogs yep. and the Monsimbis. Yeah. They're the only ones that have hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm more easily hurt now because I'm a hell of a lot more fragile, but these dogs were Yeah, dis- we start to feel it a bit more now than what we did back then. These dogs were dislocating me, though. Like, I'd, I'd have to go to the Cairo the next morning. I'd have to strap my arm and get my shoulder put back in mm. because of the partial dislocations. It was never a full dislocation, thank God, but I've had partial dislocations multiple times in both shoulders, hence why I don't, I've never had full rotation for 20 years in my uh, shoulders since that. Like, all these guys here, I wish I could put a projector up in the back and show them videos of what Kane was hitting like and mm. he was like Adam West's breeding back then you mm. know which Paul, was Paula Cochran's breeding which is it started as Zengard yeah Zengard yeah, and yeah. now you know it over the time it went to Seagatel because it went mm. Zengard Jager Seager Seagatel and I mean the dogs that he was pumping out back then uh, they were like mm. they were incredibly powerful dogs mm. like even uh, there's another guy Greg Kane who was uh you know he used to come down with his Roddy who was it who was Related, he was a Zengar dog, and he was related to Kane. Like he was incredibly mm. tough, 
And, you know, but these well, dogs... even Kane's sister, Blaze, she, wow. was, she was a civil dog. Yep. She, she used to work nights. Yeah. I mean, Kane would put the fear of God in you when you saw him th- thundering down, like, and that dog would he'd leave... He'd hit low. He'd hit low too, so he'd, he'd take He'd you like out. an aeroplane, yeah. you know, like yeah. it was like a cruise missile hitting you in the sleeve. Like, you'd just brace yourself and think, I don't know what if he's going to break something or anything like that. But, mm. I mean, for a Rottweiler, you just, it was... Un- heard of to be hit like that because the they usually would come in on gravel well the thing is no they usually skin. come in and they'd stop short and then they'd bite you mm. you know like they would they would sort of stop and then go pow and then bite you but Kane wouldn't he just throw himself at you it was literally he'd accelerate like, he'd, he'd accelerate. actually accelerate yeah. from about he's a very very powerful six dog. foot out he'd just he'd look you in the eye and he'd grin and he'd do that big roddy grin and he'd just accelerate and then launch and then hit you mid-mass so he'd either it like fold you over mm. or Remember the Jimmy hit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Jimmy hit was amazing. <laughs> Show Pat the Jimmy hit one day. Yeah, I've got to get that video. Took his legs out and had him horizontal and all you could hear was manic laughter in the background as poor Jimmy face planted and then just got smeared and they're all just laughing at poor Jim. Honestly, it's, it's <laughs> horrendous to watch. You can hear the crunch as this dog hits him and just deflates him, just totally folds him and just... Horrible. It was horrible. Everybody in the it back was, is like sitting there going, "It was." Oh, they all got their mouth open. Those, going, those it was hysterically of funny. Down like good was of forever. Yeah, pretty much. It was hysterically yeah. funny, but horrible. It was horrible to watch. It was like a train wreck. Yeah, but it was so much fun. Oh, it was. Mm. It was as long as it was happening to someone else. I wouldn't trade those days for anything, you know. I mean, I learned yeah. so much, and, uh, and like I said, I, had I talk huge about opportunities. Yeah, huge I talk about it with affection, but yeah. I really did enjoy those times. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anything else? Nah, pretty much. Just tootling along, doing me thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit of bit of cooking, yep. bit, of, bit of teaching, yep. a few classes, lots of consults, lots of K's on the, on the road. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know you're still in it. But I have, hang on, I have, I have started stepping my foot into some dog clubs. Yeah. Doing some workshops. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm enjoying that, and I've yep. got another two that I've got to chase up. I think there's an industry in and having a lot of fun with them and opening them up to engagement. I really wish you would be out teaching people how to do proper puppy class. That's I'm thinking of that. Would, I am thinking of that. That's what I've I would like to see. Come forward that want to I would start like to up. see you out there showing people how to do it right. Okay. In the vet clinics everywhere, anywhere that they're, oh, they're doing it. All right. So, how do people get in contact with you then to organise this? Uh, Dog Squad Canine Services. Um, so either on Facebook, yeah, f- Dog Squad Canine Services, Kylie Bright, gonna come out and run a workshop for you <laughs> on how to run a puppy class. Yeah, if right you're gonna want to run a puppy class, you're you know running a shitty one. Don't be so shit. Get Kylie out to do a good one. <laughs> just just fix it. Kylie can help. Yep. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking. No worries. Thanks, Thank Kylie. You. Signing off. Love you. Preston, <laughs> get up here. Oh. Come on up, buddy. Chuck those headphones on and stick that mic in your mouth. Not all the way in, just partially. This close? Yep, that's That'll good. Do it. Yeah, that's all good. Right. Hey, welcome to the show, Preston Henshaw. Thank Give you. Give <laughs> Nice t-shirt, mate. Yes. You, you familiar? suck up. <laughs> yep, wearing my label, got my brand, <laughs> getting it everywhere. Hey, what's going on, Preston? How did you get into dogs? What's going on? So I was born into a family with a dog. Dog passed away when I was about 10. I think the dog was about 14 years old at that stage. Mm-hmm. And naturally I said, when are we getting our next dog? Uh, Mum and dad said, when you get a job and can afford to help pay for it. So about four years later, uh, I got a job and I said, are we getting that dog now? 
I got home from work one day and they said, guess what? We're going to go get a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they couldn't see the shock in my eyes. So I decided to save up and take it into my own hands. I worked for about three months and went down to the, our local shopping center with a pet store, brought myself home a dog. Uh, Mum and dad said, wow, okay, well, look after it. So about three weeks of having this dog, I wasn't looking after it. And mum and dad said, we're going to find this dog a home. So credit to them. They found it a really nice home. What sort of dog was it? I was a Labrador, mm-hmm. as most in pet shops were those days. Yep. But a couple of weeks after that, I started bonding a dog. So I worked <laughs> a few weeks and I went and bought myself home another dog. Um, <laughs> it was another Labrador. Another Labrador, of course. <laughs> uh, about three weeks after that, I wasn't looking after it. And mum and dad found it a really nice home. Credit to them. And this went on. I think I had about 14 many, dogs in 12 months. What? <laughs> All Labradors. <laughs> um, <laughs> every couple of weeks I would save up and get myself a dog. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how I kind of got into dogs, and eventually I kind of got the point. I wasn't looking after them, so I didn't get myself. Your hands on a lot of dogs. We say that to people. Make sure you get your hands on lots of dogs. Um, Credit to my parents; they found them all really nice homes, and we did go and visit them all. But when I moved out of home, I decided, well, now it's time to get myself a dog. And I realised, well, actually, I kind of do have to look after it now, but I don't have anyone else to do it for me. Uh, was so, that a Labrador too? No, this was my Kelpie that I have now. Okay. Uh, oh, you still got it? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So Maybe the issues are just Labradors, mate. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this eight-week-old Kelpie, I taught it how to sit. And as you do, I went down to the local obedience school and said, my dog already knows how to sit. I'm way ahead of you guys. <laughs> 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 so it turns out after about four weeks, everyone else in my class who started at the same time as me went up to the next class and I felt invisible at that stage. I was the only one left. So I did another four weeks and everyone else up went up except for myself. And four weeks after that, I had to ask the instructor, well, am I ever going to go to the next class with this dog? So as most people get into dog training with a difficult dog, my dog wasn't a problem dog. It was just a very energetic, excitable dog who wasn't progressing. Either that or they were just getting me back for thinking I knew everything. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Bit of both. <laughs> so fortunately, uh, the instructor told me like the hard dogs, that's the one you're going to have success with. You're going to struggle at the start, but if you put in the work, you're going to have a really smart dog. The smart ones are always the hardest. And that was a little bit of motivation for me to really keep going with it. Uh, And eventually I got up through those classes. I made it into the advanced class and started coming early, helping them set up and being the last person to leave. And they said, they told me like, you could really get into this. This is something you could do as a job if you wanted to. What did you do for a job prior? I was um, roof tiling Mm -hmm. uh, and I had to get out of it because I was terrified of heights. (laughs) (laughs) But you had to earn that money to buy those dogs. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so they said, go away, do this NDTF course, come back and we might give you a job. And I said, that'd be great. Like you guys can be my home centre. And they said, we'd prefer you to go out and experience somewhere else, get knowledge in other places and you can bring that back to us. Uh, well, I found a different home centre and never came back to them. <laughs> so... From there, as I was doing my course, I 
got a job uh, at a home centre that I was going to. Uh, and I also met my beautiful partner sitting behind me, Taylor, during the course. And she turned out she had a bit of a reactive dog, a lot of fear reactions. And one day in my course, we did um, counter conditioning. And I came home all excited. I know how to fix dogs. I give them a piece of food and then they're going to love me. <laughs> so this fear reactive dog, I came home one day and gave it some food and went to cuddle it and it bit my ear off. So I lost half. <laughs> Off, like off. I lost half my ear, spent a week in hospital, uh, had to get plastic surgery for my ear. <laughs> so that was a, a lesson that I learned. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, this just like you're just things have reinforcing the whole story that I told at the, at the start of this podcast. You're just reinforcing <laughs> it for me. So God bless you. That's all right. I'm glad I could provide some kind of entertainment with yeah. half my ear. Half an ear, yeah. Uh, so. Continuing on with dogs, I guess I just got better and better and that dog who I didn't think would ever go up to the next class just last week or the week before I got the first leg of my SR2 on. Congratulations. So, um, thank you. Well done, buddy. So I'm really happy with that. I think I've come a long way. I'm not um, cuddling any fear reactive dogs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or, no. or buying any more Labradors. Or buying any more Labradors. Hey, I saw you, I came down to, to visit Brent and Cat. A couple of years ago, I went out to the centre and I saw you doing something which I really thought was awesome. And I asked Brent at the time, you know, like I said, that, that's a really cool exercise. Like I love what the guys are doing. He said, yeah, yeah, Preston came up with that. And it was loose leash walking while you are getting the clients to hold a glass of water and evaluating how much water was left in the end. And I went back and I told my guys in Sydney, I said, this is the sort of shit that I want you guys to start thinking about. That's real thinking, like showing people what it cost you because you were basically saying, okay, we'll have a look at the glass of water. Are you really doing loose leash walking or is your dog pulling you all over the place? Because I could see people wobbling around with water spilling everywhere and, you know, you were going over and kindly showing them what they were doing wrong and readdressing the issue and showing them how to manage and handle the dog. And I thought that sort of thing that's what we need in the industry. We need people who are actually showing mums and dads out there who are, you know, the, the net market of, of professional dog training, you know, what it costs you to have a dog that's not doing these exercises properly. So well done, mate. That was, that was lovely to watch. And it pleases me to see people being inventive and giving people accurate feedback that they can self-manage and self-regulate while they're actually on the training field. That was cool. Yeah, thank you. I think it is really important to always be providing a challenge. I think it might have been Ivan Balabanov who once told a story of two children in a math class. One of them's finding the class really easy. He's getting 100%, passing it really easily. The other's barely passing, really struggling. Which one needs the most help? It's the one who's finding it too easy because otherwise he's going to get bored of it yep. and there's going to be nothing, no challenge, nothing to aspire to. Yep. So I think it's really important to come up with new ways we can challenge people um, and put that to the test as well. That's, you're, you're 100% right what you said. Funnily enough, before we came up here, Pat was waiting for me in Sydney. I was doing a, a business seminar in Sydney City, and the professor is a Harvard tenured professor, and he, was, uh, he studies human behaviour, and he spoke about exactly that. Like he said, if somebody comes in and they're like a, a star performer and everything they're doing is all in the green, and then you get somebody who's underperforming and everything they're doing in, in red, who gets the most grief? And people were sort of thinking about it. And he said, well, I'll give you the answer. It's the one who's in the green. Because if they're doing everything right all the time, he said it only is a matter of time before they start 
settling with mediocrity because they're thinking, I'm comfortable now. I don't have to try hard anymore. There's no reason to push myself, you know, I'm the star performer. Whereas the person who is underperforming, they already know they're already under pressure. They already know they're underperforming. You know, the pressure's already on them to get better because their job's at risk already with this guy at the top who's – or the lady at the top, you know, got to think of everybody. But whoever it is, doesn't matter. If they're sitting there long enough, they'll think, I don't have to push myself anymore. So you're right, 100% right. And that's – again, I like hearing stories about that because it makes me think about the same sort of thing. You know, sometimes when we lose our spark, you got to you got to think: Am I being challenged enough in my role? Am I doing it properly? And it's nice to see when people are showing you or imp- implementing skills and strategies that you can actually man- measure and start thinking. You know, I need to I need to kick myself back in a gear, or else I'll I'll fall behind, and people will start taking my role over on me. Cool, good story. <laughs> cool story, so, bro. Show me your dog. So Show me your Labrador. Aside from your love of rehoming Labradors, why are you training dogs? What do you get out of it? So I think what other job can I do for 40 plus years and still be a very basic beginner? I think that's what excites me, but I'll yeah. never know everything. I'll always be a white belt if I talk about uh, martial arts. I'll always just be at the early stages of my career, even after I've been doing it for 40 years. And that's excitable. Like, what other job can you do that in? Mm, good answer. That's deep. Yeah. Again, to go back to my BJJ group, there's people in there that have been white belts for like nine years. And I was rolling with a guy the other day and I th- he, like his technique was extraordinary. And he was like submitting me all the time. I think, what am I doing wrong? And I, like I spoke to him while, you know, like in between sets. And I said, how long have you been training for, dude? And he kind of half smiled and he goes, nine years. And I said, and you're a white belt. And he goes, yeah, I'm not in a rush. He said, it's not about grading for me. It's not about the belt. He said, I'm not a coward about grading. He said, I just love the fundamentals. He said, for me, this is just enjoyment. It's like de-stressing. And he said, but I've grown so much about learning the, the fundamentals. Anyone who comes to the NDTF course and does it with me, I talk about um, when I did Kung Fu and learned the Silam Tao, which is the basis of all martial arts in Kung Fu. And they talk to you about it and they say, don't rush the basics. Learn the basics so well that the energy flows within you and like it's, it's, a, it's a real development, you know, and when you've got that and when you're grounded in that, everything else become, you become so enlightened about everything else. It's wonderful. It's a really, it's a really beautiful thing when you do it well. Absolutely. And having a place to or an area to be involved with, such as dog training, where I can always be developing and growing. I think that's one of the most excitable things about dog training that there is. Mm. Uh, just on what you're saying, man, uh, one of the prerequisites, I think, of any advanced concept or technique is excellence in the basics. Yep. I remember when I finished at the School of Infantry and like did my selection for Special Force and stuff, when I got into the unit, I was like, all right, when do I get issued my fucking laser beam and start doing cool guy shit? And I was horrified to learn that it was just more of what I'd been doing at the School of Infantry at nauseam and till it was like, you know, a reflex response. Yep. And I was like, oh shit, it turns out that the advanced stuff is just being really super good at the basic stuff. And it's the same with dogs. It's mm. the same thing. It's why like I teach you sneak popo stuff. There's no, there's nothing crazy. People are like, oh, I know this. And it's like, yeah, but you really need to know every component of it. And that's one thing, you know, listening to you do your seminar today, that's one thing that impressed upon me today is that you've really got to know the exceptional basics of Napopo, like properly. 
like you haven't rushed through that and said, oh, I'm like a bull at a gate. I have to get to know everything else. Like you really know your shit in Apopo. Yeah, the ba- it's, it's all about the basics. It's yep. all foundation. Yep. Back to you, Preston. What else you got for us, bro? So Was it really 14 Labradors? I'm still hung up on that. Yeah, it was uh, 13 or 14 within a period of about 12 <laughs> months. <laughs> so that was like more than one a month. <laughs> yeah, every, about every three weeks. Oh, my God. How old were you? I was about 14 at that time. <laughs> and did you buy them from the same bedroom? <laughs> yes. Well, did they ask any questions? That no questions nah, whatsoever. Nothing. I think they were just happy to be making some money. Yeah. Thinking you were just oh, eating wow. them or something. Yeah, about $400 each. Jesus. They were quite happy to get rid of them. <laughs> we're, we're definitely talking about this tomorrow on our puppy. And <laughs> yeah. our puppy talk. I'm, I'm using you as the case study. Oh, goodness. All right, what else you got for us? So we've been working together closely for about nine months now. Mm-hmm. Um, plan going forward is to get a PDC on uh, the Kelpie that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's hopefully the plan going forward within the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no rush for that. We'll take our time and mm-hmm. we'll get there. How old's the dog? Uh, she's four four now, turning five later in the year. Okay. Cool. Plenty of time. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. So that's the goal. PDC for a Kelpie. Um, no Labradors. No Labradors. No more rehoming Labradors. <laughs> no more rehoming Labradors. <laughs> uh, got a business you can plug or nah? You work for someone else, right? Yeah, I work for a, a boarding kennel in Melbourne, um, Homestead Boarding Kennels. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do you want to tell people <laughs> do you where it plug is? Them yeah, or? so I do. Um, <laughs> like it's on Homestead Road in Wonga Park. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I do a, a, a board and training program through Homestead Kennels. Yep, who's owned by Scott Wend. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Yeah. If Funny how I know so much about Homestead Kennels, <laughs> isn't it? Because I used to work there for five years. <laughs> Is that before you started rehoming Labrador? Yes. <laughs> so since you've Actually, worked we, there, I think about that time we started getting an influx of Labradors just suddenly appearing. Since you've worked there, Glenn, it's been completely rebuilt, so everything's mm. brand new. Yeah, Scott's um, kindly invited me down several times, and I think he is talking to me about doing a seminar at some stage. So um, I'll I'll come down and visit the old stomping ground. We look forward to having you. I'll look forward to coming down. Thank you. Thanks for coming, Preston. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Anybody got anything to say? Chuck those headphones on, buddy, and get that bad boy. Yeah, those ones, and get that microphone right into you, right in there. Christ. Yeah. So, welcome to the show, Jack. What's your last name? Kennedy. Jack Kennedy. Not Mehoff? No. Okay. So, what's your story? (laughs) Nobody got that. Oh, yeah, I didn't hear (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, I am working on a farm at the moment Uh as a stockman. Cool. So, over about 12 months, I've gotten... Five dogs on the go. Labradors that you're rehoming? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're really, they're really good around the sheep. No, they're all – I've got five Kelpies and a Whippet. Started off with a really well-bred Kelpie. So I thought, oh, this is piss easy. Mm-hmm. And one of my mates said, um, I'm going to get rid of mine because it's a handful. Do you want it? I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. And um, that took about 20 hours of my week trying to train that up. And then now I just focus on getting well-bred dogs. It's amazing, isn't it, how many people get Kelpies and dogs like that, like farm-bred dogs with good intentions and realise, especially urban homes, and then realise it's like trying to wrestle a grizzly bear into a box for the rest of their life. Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest issues was the Red Dog movie. Yep. Yeah. That really stuffed the 
not stuffed it. Such a good movie, though. It's, oh, it's, it's a great, great movie. <laughs> great movie, great dog. But for um, like people in the city who have seen that dog and thought, I'll get one of them for myself, mm-hmm. they've either they've had to give it up for adoption or they've bred from it because it was a good pet. And now there's a heap of Kelpies out there that are suited to a pet home and no good for working. Yep. So farm, now farmers are getting these Kelpies to work with, but they're they don't what they want work dogs. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of a shame. So you uh, work stock with your dogs? Yeah. Yep. So I, my main dog's Lola, and she's an absolute jet. So we've probably just put about sixteen thousand sheep through the yards last week. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so that was. Yeah, basically, get it, getting to what you, what your question was about, what the, what was it? Why what? are you in dogs? What dolls does this spin for you? Yeah, like just sitting down last night after putting all those sheep through the yards, and we're both like, or even yesterday afternoon, we're both knackered. We're just looking at each other, thinking, "Oh, we've got it. We've got to put them through the yards." Just let me explain something for our American listeners who are oh. the majority. That's not an Australian slang for nude. Knackered is tired. Yes, we were quite. We, were, we, we looked at each other and we were quite tired. And um, like we we're both thinking, oh, let's just go home. Like, no, we'll just get the job done and then we can finally sit down and have a beer. And there's nothing better than just getting the job done, sitting down, cracking a VB, and just having the dog by your side, well trained, not running off, not fighting. I think it really, yeah. Just, I feel like a dog is one of the only animals that you could that you work with. It doesn't work for you. Mm. Oh well, in in the um, like sheepdog industry anyway. Mm. And it's there's not really anything like that. Mm. I don't think. Yeah, I agree with that. I um, I've often said the only dogs that I would own are hunters or herders because that's a that's a job where you and the dog are working together yeah. and their dog is then designed to like take direction and work with you. Whereas like a lot of your like static guard breeds are like, Hey man, I don't need your help. Like I, I got this, I understand what's going on. And so they don't, they don't train as easily because they're not as easily, they're not as motivated to train, but the hunters and the herders are like, Hey, where do you want these sheep? Right. Or like we are tracking together. I found the thing. Here's the point, right? So it's a very cooperative affair that you're having with the animal. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. Like it was good to get a good dog for a start because you just learn so much from them because they're mm. like they just know what they're doing. And like, how did you learn that shit? Where did oh, that- I went to a fair few workshops. Mm-hmm. Who was your mentors? Like who who coached you in this? Um, there's a few blokes around my district, Ian Oak, and they're all quite well known dog trainers. Yeah, and then just work. You just go, got to go to work, which is also a bit of a, a downfall for trying to train your your sheep dogs. Is when you don't get some, you haven't got something quite right, or they keep stuffing up. You've still got to do it. Like you got to get right, the job yeah. done. So you end up just not stuffing your dog, but they keep making mistakes, and it turns into a habit. So mm-hmm. on your weekends, you're trying to fix that, and then like you just keep slipping back. So it's a bit of a challenge, but I think it's. Like you're learning so much all the time, mm. trying to figure out how to get them right. Mm. And so you said you have five dogs? Uh, six, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got, I got five Kelpies and a Whippet, yeah. Right, and they all, they're all working? Uh, the, well, the Whippet chases rabbits, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And the Kelpies, are they all at different stages? Or yeah, so I've got, I've got Lola. She's two, I think. She's my main dog. And then I've got an older dog who's my sort of backup once Lola gets tired. Mm-hmm. And then I've got Kev who's the – Trouble, 
the one that I, the one <laughs> yeah, that I got Kev. real, real <laughs> confident with. And then I've got a, a pup, like on the go, coming up. And then I've got a um, pig, the pup, puppy I'm bringing tomorrow. He's yeah one one that I bred, and I've been trying. What's to do his it. name? Pig. Yep. Okay. He's a little pig. Okay. Um, little little. Oh, his puppy. his original name was Jesus because he was born on Easter Sunday, but we renamed him Pig because he was. <laughs> just yeah, I've been doing a lot of the. I did a lot of box stuff with him, and since I started doing that from when he was about four weeks old or five weeks old, he's just been a pig. Like yeah, anything he could eat, he would just snuff it up. It's kind of rare for a kelpie, right? Especially a working one. Yeah, well, usually they're just sort of focused. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's a pig. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that all. And so you love it because you work with them; they don't work for you. Pretty much, yeah. It's a bit of a bit of a synergy, I suppose. The other the other good thing is that you've got your best mates with you all day, or on the farm anyway. Mm-hmm. And like Lola will run twenty five k's a day for me, mm-hmm. but my best mate down the road won't even get me a beer out of the fridge. <laughs> so, like, it's just that sort of loyalty, and they'll do anything for you. And then, yeah, yeah, it's just so much smarter than me. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I'm sitting there screaming at them, trying to tell them what to do, trying to ha- tell them how to do their job, and they're just looking at me like, after like the fourth time you call them over, and they come over and the sheep run out, and you're like, oh yeah, sorry, go, go back to what you were doing, sorry. <laughs> they know better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's Born cool, that. man. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's an area that I have no, I don't know shit about that. Like, I don't know the fucking first thing about training a stock dog. I don't know anything about it, and I watch it. I watch in awe of people doing it. I just have no access to it, you know. What, what was the girl's name who did the SR test up in Sydney? She was going for SR1, I think. Uh, she had that dog. She, she had it on whistle commands that Jay was freaking out over. Uh, uh, I can't remember her name. Anyway. I feel bad that I've forgotten her name, but it was amazing to watch. Like, it was really – we videoed it. I'm sure yeah. it's, it's videoed, but it was really cool to watch the dog under control. I mean, I grew up as a child. My uncle had a, a farm in, in Donald in, yep. in Victoria. So country Victoria, and I used to spend school holidays with him, and he had Kelpie crosses. He had one dog that he swapped for a shotgun. That was what you did back in the day, you know. Like I just said, you know, what'd you pay for the dog? I'm pretty he sure said, people are still doing that now. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. But yeah. he said, yeah, I swapped. He said it's such a good dog. I swapped it for a shotgun with yeah. with my brother. We used to go out and get on the wheat thresher, and the dogs would be on the back with us, and then you know we'd go and clear the the sheep from the paddock and. I'd watch him do it and I just it was amazing to watch these dogs and he was one of my inspirations into getting into dog training. You know, like he just had such a way with the dogs. And then you know, at the end of the day the dogs would go back and they'd have a rain old rain barrel that they'd had a running wire he'd clip it onto. And, you know, by these standards people today go, Oh, that's terrible, it's cruel. But this dog was at five o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night. He was working all day. By the time that dog got back to the rain barrel, it was saying, Thank you. You know, like I'm done for the day and just go in. He'd yeah. eat fresh farm offal that from all the slaughtering and everything they did on all the chickens and, and lamb and just everything. whatever they could Whatever find. they could find. The dogs were eating like r- proper raw diet foods. Like these dogs were living between 15 to 17 of years of age. Yeah. And the old dogs were on the veranda on the house. The young working dogs were working sheep. And, I mean, they were on machines with you during the day. They were running around herding sheep. They were on the farm, you know, like as you're walking up and down the farm doing your daily tasks, milking the cows, whatever we're doing, these dogs were by your side. They weren't just strapped up to the tank and that was it. You know, it was a great life for dogs and it was wonderful to see. And I'm, I'm 
you know, I'm really blessed that I got to be a part of that and see that you said synergy before because it really is a synergy. You know, it's a, it's a working man and his dog doing what the dog was designed to do. It was awesome. But I, I don't know how to train it. I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm being, yeah. being honest here. I, I watched my uncle do it and he taught me a little bit when I was a kid, but I didn't really take it seriously then. I didn't think that was my future or my career. So I never really took it in. I just had a, a couple of whistles here and there and did a terrible job of it. My uncle was awesome at it. And so was his brother, you know, like they were, they were fantastic at that work. Yeah, it's a bit of a um, – with motorbikes and all that sort of thing now, it's a bit of a dying art, I think. There's, all these farmers have got like three or four dogs each and they've never been taught a thing or don't understand anything about canine behaviour or anything like that. So they'll get this dog and it won't do the right thing. So it comes with them on the back of the motorbike or they go and do the job. It's just sort of um, – It's a companion at that point, right? Yeah, and then, and then they get a, get the sheep into the yards and then the dog barks at the sheep and moves them and they're like, oh, geez, that's a good dog. I'll, I'll breed from that. <laughs> and all the neighbours get a, get a puppy and it just sort of – yeah, I Filters think – Filters the genetics. Yeah, that's it. Good breeding. Yeah. Good breeding. You could get a good, well-bred dog, raise it as a – like do what you guys do with your pups and just let it go. Basically, show it that you want it to go, want the sheep through the gate, and then after that, they'll just do the job for you. Mm. You don't have to keep. In, There's people control. doing that though, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. There is plenty of people yeah, definitely. keeping it alive. For definitely. Sure. A study came out not too long ago about the like financial input that a dog has on a farm, like a good dog, and it was it was I can't remember the numbers, but it was astronomical. It was like if you had to employ someone to do his job, that the farm would lose money. Like, yeah, you, you wouldn't actually make any money for your. It wouldn't be wages. someone. Like, it could be a team of people. Well, like, yeah, yeah, they say right. one one. Half decent dogs worth three men. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a, almost the same in law enforcement yeah. as well. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Like a man and dog team are, are, are amazing. False multiplier. Yeah, false multiplier. Yep. Yep. Hey, Jack. Yep. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Do you got to, how come, do you need people to get in touch with you? They need some stock moved around? Um, I've just sort of about to start a, a bit of a boarding train for working. Ah. Working sheep dogs, I always because I always hear you guys talk about working dogs. I'm like, oh, they're talking about sheep dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but for sheep dogs, I'm about to start doing boarding trains. Yeah, cool. Just for work. So yeah. just getting dogs started for people. Yeah. Yeah, basically, or yeah, about from six months onward. Just yeah, to teach cool. them the basics because I think that's a bit like once they once a dog knows the basics. Yeah, they they figure can, it out. For yeah, them. they can do everything, but just teaching them the basics that people have trouble with. Yeah, yeah. So what's that going to be? How how people going to find you for that? Oh, I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay, well, I've got an Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah, what is yeah. it? Yeah, uh, Jack's Dog Pack. Jack's Dog Pack. Jack's underscore dog underscore pack. Yep. So if you want to message me through there, I've messaged Glenn a bit. Sweet. About motorbikes. Yep. Yeah, yep. It's been good. Yeah, it's been good, buddy. All right, Jack's Dog Pack. Jump onto that. Have a look. Yep. And have when look. you're ready, you'll be telling everyone about your boarding trains for stock dogs. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks for coming on. Good Thank on you, you, bud. Thanks again. <laughs> Hey mate. Hey guys. How are you? Good. My name's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Remember that movie Kindergarten Cop with uh, Who is your Arnold daddy Schwar- and what? Does yeah, he do? Who, is Who is your daddy and what does he do? I'm Cameron Ainsley. So my story is basically as Pat described earlier today, the dog trainer's fairy tale. So basically, I adopted a German Shepherd uh, rescue. Mm-hmm. Found myself way too deep. Had to get help. So went around to obviously local trainers. No one could fix my issue in a day, which is kind of what I was looking for, being naive <laughs> and, and new to the world. So 
yeah, I was I got into it a little bit more. I was training with about three different trainers, probably three or four times a week, using different systems, which was obviously getting me nowhere. So um, looked into NDTF, completed the NDTF course with Kylie. Yep, loved it. Awesome. Um, really opened my eyes, and yeah, so rescued a. Another shepherd, so two shepherds in the pack now, looking at Noseworks. One of them is a little bit more drivey, yep. uh, so we'd like to look at GRC. White sports is kind of the dream, but might have to move to New South. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it, how our states differently align with these ridiculous laws. Yep. You know, it's, it's very... <sighs> It's very crippling for, for the dog sport industry that, you know, one state's allowed to do this and then the one, other state's not allowed to. And then when you have a, like a, a skill or a performance that you want to do, again, it's like it's totally opposite. What you're allowed to do in New South Wales is not what you're allowed to do in Victoria. Like between the two states, it's just craziness what, what is and isn't allowed to do. I mean, seriously, why? It's just a river. Like it's literally just a river in between. You can just go from one side of it to the other. Yeah, like you, if you want to do bite walks, you have to hop across the New South Wales border. If you want to use your remote training, you have to hop back on the Melbourne side, you know, so you can do all your training there. You really need to live in Albury, Wodonga to get the best out of this whole aspect. Mm. Or Queensland where they don't Or Queensland or anything. WA, yeah, where you're allowed to do whatever you want. I guess um, the thing about the industry is just uh, people are drawn to it from so many different avenues um, and it's really quite broad. And for me, I, I'm not not doing it professionally at this point in time. That's uh, yeah, that's the dream. Okay. Um, but at the moment, it's an outlet. You know, it's uh-huh. when I'm dog training. It's escapism. Off, it's yeah, exactly. It's like Glenn and riding motorcycles. Mm. It's um, yeah, you leave the rest of the world behind. And it's just you and the dog, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dog training for me is still escapism when it's not so jobby. Mm. Bart talks about it on the Napo course quite a lot. He said, you know, like some people start off as a hobby and then it becomes a jobby and then it com- becomes a job. And there's times for me where it's become a job, which is where it's robbed me of my passion of it because when it was a jobby or a hobby between jobby, it was actually really like I talked about this a while ago. I became and Kylie knows back in the time, like I was obsessed about training my dog, like just crazy about it, but dangerously crazy to the point where it was costing me, you know, if it evaluated on a human level, I wasn't very human anymore. I'd lost my human connection because all I wanted to do was my dog stuff. Whereas now I like to diversify and I love doing my dog stuff. I've got my dog sport family. I've got my bike riding family and, you know, I've got uh, other things that I can get involved in just to, to clear my mind on what I want to do. And it's not that I begrudge people for wanting to do it. I think it's wonderful, but just don't let it become a mental illness, you yeah. know. And for me, it was a bit more of a mental illness than anything. It wasn't about being clear and defined about what I wanted to do. It was a sickness. And I had to identify with that and, and stop it from happening. Yeah. But I like that. That's a good answer. I'm glad you came up here because that's uh, – why do you do it is because it's it's your stress relief, right? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And – for you, it very much is too. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a time. passion, but, you know, like I, I see how relieved you are when you get to spend time with your dog. Like it's Yeah, it's important. I think it's important, especially since for me it's not a jobby, it's a job. Yeah. Uh, but my own dog is a hobby. Yeah. Right? Like I'm competing with him. Like he's. it's important to have that. I think that most people – 
where you lose the love for dog training is where you no longer are training your own dog to do something cool. Yep. And you're just constantly dealing with other people's issues. Yep. And especially if you're doing behavior modification, if you ever go down this line, it's like you just see problematic dog after problematic dog. And it gets to the point when people ask you like, hey, you're a dog trainer, what kind of dog should I get? You're a cat, right? Because every <laughs> dog you see has a significant problem because that's what you're getting asked to, to deal with. And so yep. I think it's really important that you then have one yourself that is like, okay, me and you can do cool things together, yeah. right? While yeah. we're just teaching other dogs not to react to the front door or bark at people and just really the, the things that aren't fun, right? It is fun that you're fixing people's lives, but every dog is a problem. Every dog is a problem causer when you're in that model. And I think it's important then to really put a lot of time, effort and energy into your own dog that, that isn't. I'll tell you the part that's not fun, which you're referring to, is the part that's not fun is when you're spending time with people and you and you see that they're very disingenuous about following through with it. Yeah, yeah. That's the killer. You know, that's the part that robs the fun out of it because you're you're throwing all your enthusiasm and energy right at that person and you can say I can give you everything. Like the the keys to the kingdom are yours. Here, take it. And you're giving it to them like you're holding nothing back and they they're looking at you with just this vague expression on their face going, oh, "I don't even know what you're talking about, bro." And they go away and they won't do it. Yeah. And it kills you. you know, like you're saying, this dog's going to fucking die. You're a step away from killing this dog and I'm watching it happen. It, you know, it's a train wreck. That's All you had to do was pull the lever and the train would go off on the different track. Yeah. You know, that's all. And you, you can do it. You can pull the lever and that train will divert and it will safely sail away. And they won't pull the lever. You'll even put their hand, it's ignition. You'll put their hand on it and you'll show them how to do it. Like you almost pull that lever for them and you just go say, I, I can't be there. I can't reach the lever for you. You have to pull it. And they won't do it. And that's what kills people in this industry. You know, like I can just see the heart being torn out of their chest from it and, and, and people walk away from it because they just think I can't watch this anymore. And that's what hurts people so much in this industry, the pet dog industry. The sport dog industry, you know, like – people that are here in this group that I'm looking at now, these people are diehards. Yeah. You know, they're passionate people. They come here to learn about themselves, to enthuse their own love and motivation. I mean, these people, you know, they'll draw you a picture of the lever and they'll show you every mechanical aspect of how to pull a lever. You know, like they'll tell you 30 different ways that you can pull that lever. They'll design a contraption that can pull that lever. They'll do everything about it. But the pet person, not all of them, some of them are wonderful, don't get me wrong. I mean, you meet some absolutely dynamic and some of these people were pet people one of these days yeah. that were inspired by you me everybody else that were in the room to come along and do these type of things but they're not all like that yeah. you know and the vast majority aren't and they won't do it they're they're, uh, they're very um slothful but you know it's good to, th to think to yourself that times may be changing and that people might be getting a little bit more involved in that aspect of things i mean rescue dogs have improved yeah. The, the life and the welfare of rescue dogs have certainly improved since I got involved in it because rescue dogs back when Kylie and I first started training was an afterthought. You know, it was like, oh, fuck rescue dogs, just put them down, who cares? Yep. But now people are, it's more in hearts and minds about dogs. You know, people are very, very involved in their the welfare aspect of where they go, what they're doing and, and how they're looked after. So that's nice to see that there is actually momentum. You know, like people like J-Jack, We've had several times on the show, a great friend of ours and, yeah. you know, an ins inspiration in, in the whole GRC movement, Amy Sadler, you know, and the wonderful people that we've interviewed. There's probably people in this room right now that are involved in rescue and they're, they're really transforming the whole landscape of it. And the God bless them because that's a hard, bloody job. But they're making movement in it. You know, like I'm seeing more people interested in rescuing dogs, not just 
dumping them out the window and thinking, oh, well, it's somebody else's problem, something to forget about, and just filling landfill with them. Yeah. Hmm. That's my rant. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to say before uh, I hand over to someone else, thank you to both of you guys. I don't think you guys get enough recognition for what you do for this industry. Oh, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. No, no, seriously, uh, yeah. And uh, I think I can speak for, for everyone in the room. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. As much as I appreciate that, because I really do, I mean, that's a really generous thing to, to come up here and say, that we have been getting some lovely feedback from people all around the world that have been sending Pat and I nice personal messages to say thanks. And we really appreciate it because we never realised that this would have such an impact to people. We Like, I still am surprised that the reach that um, the canine paradigm has all around the world, that people, we always thought we'll probably only get 100 people listening to us, if that, and it'll probably just fizzle out, but give it a go anyway. Yep. You know, and here we are with 10,000 active plus listeners around the world. In, you know, a lot of them in the States and in Australia are our very own hometown people here to support us. And the show wouldn't happen without you guys. You know, as much as Pat and I love getting up here and talking about these subjects, we can't reach people without more people telling other people and it becoming a family and a community and you know it's spreading and the great thing about that is is that we're meeting each other around the world you know like this has given people a network reach that we're making friends in other countries with other people like people know who you guys are now because of this show and you know who they are because of this show you know like we've connected and we've done the same with Chad Mackin and and Jay you know, through their their networks as well, you know, and I mean, and thank them as well. I think Chad mentioned on his show that without the dog training conversations, other people wouldn't have been inspired. And we were inspired through people like them. You know, I got inspired through Josh and Dave Putman's show and uh, which were inspired through dog training conversations, you know. So we, we've, we've all had that sort of feed off each other to actually do things. But we ha- like guys, honestly, really, we have to, if we want to change the landscape of what we're doing in this world, you know, we complain about the laws that are coming out all the time. And I keep saying to people all the time, this is why it's important for things like IACP to succeed. You know, we really need to not just pay a membership, but we need to get actively involved in these type of things. It really needs to be a movement because without it, these lazy politicians will just keep voting for the popular votes all the time and they'll stop us from using tools and they'll stop us from owning the type of breeds of dogs that we should have the right and the access to use and and be readily available all over the world. You know, what they should be saying is, why don't you guys tell us how to maintain the right education channels? You know, why don't you tell us what that looks like, what that landscape looks like going forward? Because that's what I want to see. In, in Before I, I peter out one day, what I'd like to see is a legacy that, people like all of us leave behind is that we give a generation of people not bans and restrictions but more access to education and more groups that will actually (laughs) properly police it for us so we can do it properly yep absolutely thank you you you. don't have a business we can plug you no don't (laughs) but uh if you're looking for a dog trainer down in geelong somewhere uh uh, cameron ainsley cameron (laughs) thanks cameron good on you start a business sometime soon no I think Ernie would probably kill us if we went on anymore. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he's been very fair and reasonable. So but Ernie needs to come up and tell us about this place. We've been in. We're at your. Come up, Ernie. We're at your place. We need to hear about a little bit about this place so we can plug it for you, mate. Ernie Frapper, welcome to the show. G'day. How you doing? Good. How thanks, are you, buddy? Thanks for having us down here, mate. Alex has organised it, but you've ho- you've you've provided the facility. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Second time I've been here. Yeah, it's been great having you. Thank you. Uh, it's been nothing but fantastic reviews. 
<laughs> so people have loved it. So we're you're always welcome. <laughs> so Canine Clubhouse, what what is the deal here exactly? So this is built around a, a daycare where we accept all dogs. So that's aggressive dogs, dogs that don't like other dogs, dogs that have injured other dogs. Every dog entire neutered the whole lot. And you manage that somehow. Yeah, yeah. So we have trainers here and there's a temp test that they go through, but it's all, you know, they get segregated until they calm down enough to actually be with other dogs. Right. So the temp test, you can't (laughs) fail it. It's just now we know who you are and we know how to manage you. That's exactly right. You've got a bit of following too, Ernie. I posted a picture of Pat doing the course on the Canine Paradigm discussion page and straight away... There were several people in America who goes, oh, I can see Ernie, uh, Heather Beck being one of them. So you've obviously got some connections around the world. You've been networking. Yeah, yeah. So I went over to the States about five years ago. I've gone over a couple of times to, to learn from other trainers. Yep. Um, and some fantastic wa- things that they do. And she's one of, the, one of the best ones when it comes to daycare and actually working with aggressive dogs. Yep. Um, so she specialises in that. And you, work in, you walk into her daycare, there's no dogs barking. They're nice and quiet. They're all passive. There's playing dogs and, you know, dogs pairing off. Um, but it's not you walk in and it's, a, it's an absolute yeah, nightmare. So that's what this is based on yep. as well. And so. th- this is a lovely looking facility too, mate. I mean, I've been, I'm, as you know, I mean, I've told people before, but I'm the director for, for board and train and daycare for PIAA. And I, my, part of my role is to go around and have a look at daycare centres and boarding kennels and so forth and, Mate, this is neat as a pin. It's a beautiful place. You've you've really done it well. Like I, I credit to you. You know, it's a, it, it smells nice in here. It looks nice. It's a great facility. And I mean, you've been talking to me about improvements and things that you've got on the hop. So, credit to you, bud. Yeah, thanks. Well, when we when we looked at this place first, it was actually a, a mechanics workshop. So there was grease everywhere, all up the walls, on the floors, and yeah, I saw the pictures and stuff. So it was yeah. pretty terrible. Yep. So that took a couple of months to get tidy it up. Yep. And um and build it the way that we wanted to build it. And we wanted to have the nice fencing as well, not the you know, the standard pool fencing or chain mesh fencing. We wanted it to be, you know, more aesthetically pleasing for, for people. Yep. It also helps when we have um, difficult dogs that they're in different runs where they can't see the other dogs, mm. but they know they're there. So we don't get a lot of fence running. They start to actually just bear with what's happening around them. Yep. And, and you know, we'll have dogs that when they first see other dogs want to go absolutely crazy um, and within an hour on the other side of the fence, they settle down and, and then we can actually bring them in and, yep. and, and they can be part of the main group. Yep. And even, even now we've got a dog that's declared dangerous that actually comes to daycare. We have six months to improve that dog to actually have the declaration removed. And that's the first in Victoria. So that's cool. Yeah, that that's is cool. awesome. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely great. crazy. So, yeah, and that dog's off lead with other dogs. Can you just quickly explain what the headache it is to own a dog declared dangerous? Yeah, so it has to wear a muzzle full-time as soon as it leaves the house. Mm-hmm. It's got a special uh, collar that it needs to wear. It has to be housed in a special facility at home. So, Which is um, a kennel dug into the ground with a roof. It's basically it's a, a prison, prison cell. It's, a, yeah, it's, a it's a definitely a prison cell. And an it, inescapable kennel. Yeah, yep. and it even goes to the thickness of the, of the mesh. The gauge and the of mesh the water, and all that yeah. stuff. That's exactly right. So it's pretty intense. And there's a registration fee down here as well, right, of That's like correct. two and, and a half grand a year I, or something I, like that? I can't – I don't know that fact, but um, I do know that this dog, although it's – so it's been declared – but it's been contested, so we have six months to get that off. So right now they don't have to pay anything. Right. So, so what, what I've got to explain to people too, because I did a lot of court cases when I was in Victoria for people I helped as an expert consultant 
in several cases with several barristers that were defending people here, if the dog kills a cat, it can be declared dangerous and we'll have to have those same restrictions placed on it. So even if it's a biological thing that, you know, cats and dogs don't agree with each other. I mean, I know it's someone's pet Mm. and I'm not not making a mockery of someone's Mm. pet being killed by a dog. You know, there should be fines and penalties and, and kicks up the bum for that sort of thing happening. But yeah, the dog will live you know, fundamentally the rest of its life as if they don't pursue the destruction clause, yep. they will basically imprison the dog. That's exactly what happens here. Yeah. And in this case, the dog did kill another dog. Yep. And, you know, for whatever, however that happened, um, my job is to make sure that that dog can actually function around other dogs again. Yep. And so, you know. Hey, look, just for the record, I'd be as mad as hell if somebody else's dog killed my dog. I'm just oh. going to say, I'm not I'm not making light of it or mocking it or, because this is somebody else's pet. So I'm not, I don't want anyone to listen to this and say, hey, Glenn, you're, you're out of touch with how that would feel. I'm not because, yeah. I, yeah. you know, I understand I was in a case where a dog killed a rabbit mm. and, you know, I saw the look on that little girl's face whose rabbit had died and she, you know, people laughed about it. I said, that's not fucking funny. Mm. You know, that little girl loved that rabbit just as much as you love your dog or your child. You know, to her, it was significant. So it's not funny. It's it's a problem. 100%. And that's why I'm saying whatever the circumstances led to that are, I don't comment in. I just comment on what they've brought me that's to right. do, you know. So, yeah. so it's you asked about the facility itself. We have uh, social classes here on Sundays mm-hmm. and we started with six dogs and now we have 200 dogs enlisted in that. We wow. can only take We can only take 60. And each of those dogs has either killed or bitten another dog. Wow. So it's pretty crazy. Fucking hell. It's a, it's a pretty crazy time. And so on Sundays we will have those 60 dogs in and that's where now those dogs could actually function and, and actually come to a daycare facility. where we Good have, on you, you bud. Know, we have, you know, we can have puppies around them and, you know, everything. So that's why this, this exists, this whole building exists because people, there's daycares out there that are run by people that just have an interest in dogs mm-hmm. or love dogs but don't understand them. Mate, we were talking a minute ago before we started this, or a while ago before we started this, and you told me you're here three days a week. Yep, correct. And you work another four days a week, and in those four days you'll do 20-plus consoles. Correct. Motherfucker, you work hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I work, I work my ass off. So yeah. what spins that doll for you? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Well, I tried to uh, – take time off several times my last my last time off was uh october 2017 and that's just because i'll allocate time off but then somebody calls up and they say hey listen my dog's growled at my kid mm-hmm. you know or my dog's attacked my other dog and they're crying on the phone so you set time aside but then how can you not go to that consult mm. because and something happens because you want a day off you know so it's really hard. I think what drives that is a passion to really like help people. Yeah. And that's through obviously my other business, the dog bloke, but that's to get, you know, to, to see people, you know, people are always crying to me on the phone every week. There's people crying for a multitude of reasons. And generally it's because, you know, there's an issue with their dog that they're worried they're going to have to get rid of it or one of their dogs, or they're in social classes and now it's graduated to be off lead. And they're crying because it's for the first time in X amount of years the dog's actually playing with another dog. Mm-hmm. So that that's a, like a passion. That's like to see people feel that and then we, you create a community around that because people see the other dogs and go, wow, I can't believe that dog when it first started to now it's playing with other dogs. Mm-hmm. 
you know. And when, when we have good weather here, the off-leash classes, there's not a lot of people because they're all going to cafes and stuff that they, that's they perfect, can actually though, take that, their dogs to. They're so. succeeding with their dog. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and that's what drives it. Yeah. That's exactly what drives it. And, yeah, I'm busy as hell right now, but – that's, I kept know, my call when you told that to me before and you're like, yeah, plus I do 20 plus consults. I was yeah. like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in my head I was thinking, fuck, how hard does this bloke work? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, that averages out to five a day for those days that I'm off, um, which is, which is you know. That's a lot, mate. That's yeah, a lot yeah. of work. Yeah, yeah. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And the majority of that is aggression work. There's mm-hmm. puppy stuff as well, you know, where people buy puppies. They've worked, they've worked with me before. And then they've got another dog or they've bought a puppy and they want to bring it up right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, you know, so what that's do we do now? That's the good stuff. That's the easy stuff. Yeah. And that's the stuff that's so good. Yeah. Because then you end up with a dog, you know. Setting foundations. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and what's funny is that they go, if we knew now what would, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you knew then what we know now, yeah. our dog would have been different in the mm-hmm. start, the other dog. So, yeah, that's what drives it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Hey, Thanks again for letting us use your place. No problems. Thanks heaps for coming. It's been an absolutely brilliant weekend. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Thanks very much. Take care. Still got Cheers. another day to go. Yeah. Anybody else as ready for bed as me? Yeah. I think we're ready to wrap it up. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe, tell a friend. Any of you guys here in the crowd could just, you know, share the episode. Who knows? If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode. Ten bucks a month gets you a live Q&A. And, you know, you could just give a whole bunch of money if you really want to. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is to shoot us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. And again, I'll confess that right now we have... 311 unread emails so just be patient with us we might get back to you at some stage <laughs> we're working that's it glenn i can see you've got that i'm ready button to, finger. I'm ready to hit touch that the button. button ah it didn't work hang on hang on hang on hit the button it didn't work what's he doing <laughs> 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 wrong dial